Living the dream. Oh yeah. No. No. I mean <laughs> I don't know. It's good. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything uh, is fine. We've been in our editor project that I've been talking about. Like we've been doing like reflex and cable ready on and stuff. And we're kind of like, is this the right tool for this job? Kind of thing. So we've been like this past week back in R and D mode, which is fun, but also it just takes a lot out of you. It was like 6.30 last night. I didn't want to leave my computer. And Shannon's like, our kids are going to bed. And I was like, no. So, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. So you guys are kind of at a point where you're evaluating whether it's a good fit for the, the problem. Yeah. yeah, because a lot of the stuff we're doing needs like instant updates mm-hmm. on the page. And we thought we could pull out a lot of the complexity that we have with our current JavaScript by moving it to using Ruby to do all that, using cable ready. But we're kind of finding that we're just moving the complexity from the client side to the server. And so I'm still very hyped on reflex and cable ready. I just don't, I'm not sure right now that for instant updates, like what if there's latency, right? What if a user is typing and it's five seconds later, bam, 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 it just all appears. So yeah, right. Yeah. And if you're like, Action cable server goes down and then they get no updates, then then what? Right. We want it to be a great user experience. It's a good experience, but it's just the what ifs, right? We've been exploring what our options are because we the things we're trying to avoid are like duplicating logic on the client and the server. And that goes for like view rendering too. So We've been asking a lot of questions and like crying a lot and screaming a lot. And yeah, and it's Friday. So anyway, enough about me. What's going on with y'all? Yeah, I worked on stimulus reflex a little bit the other day because there's a lot of people that are like using jumpstart or something and they'll install stimulus reflex and then like it requires... So if anybody isn't familiar, Stimulus Reflex can do most of a regular Rails request, except for things like changing cookies in the session. So one of the requirements they have right now is that you use a cache-based or some other session store instead of cookies so that they can update it inside of the action cable request, which makes sense. But it also leads to a lot of confusion because if you install that on an app or something that doesn't have caching enabled, then all of a sudden you just can't log in. And there's nothing that points to Stimulus Reflex being that. So I fixed that, made a couple PRs, and also made a change to check the... Like in the same kind of like boot sequence was there was an issue about like, how do we keep the backend Stimulus Reflex version and the front-end version in sync? And so I went and wrote some code to get that done at the same time because it was like, it goes in basically the same process. So uh, I think that just came out as part of the 3.3.0 release. Is that the latest one that yeah. just dropped? Yeah. With the wonderful, the wonderful video. Yeah. <laughs> so that was a good one. I think it'll help clarify some stuff. 
but it just yeah. does warnings when you boot up. And originally it was like, should we stop your Rails process and just shut it down if it's not going to work? But the warning is a much better way to go just because it's a little hardcore to stop the Rails process entirely. Yeah, we, we've avoided that problem by just not doing anything in the session. Not touching cookies. And it, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it makes it it makes it more difficult, but yeah, right. Which makes sense. There's definitely times where it's useful to have if you wanted. I don't know for whatever reason. If you wanted to log a user in through Stimulus Reflex, like good luck. You'd have to have something like this. But yeah, I don't manipulate the session that often in most things. So it, to me, it was like just user login stuff. But it was such an unexpected little, like you install Stimulus Reflex and then, hey, my app is completely broken. Well, that's weird. So it's a strange experience. Hopefully that gets improved for everybody going, going forward. But it was, it was fun to make my debut on the Stimulus Reflex repo. Andrew, before we introduce our guests, anything good with you? Yeah. Nothing good, but tonight we we've scheduled some downtime and we will be trying to delete. We're going to try to truncate a table that has 225 million records in it, something like that. And then re-index a lot of stuff. And then so I'll be up tonight doing that. And then tomorrow morning trying to deal with any potential fallout from this massive, massive, dangerous thing that we're doing, but is completely required. So nothing good. Do you have a way to simulate that before you do it in production? So moving on. (laughs) Yeah, sort of. Yeah. There is a guy much smarter than me who's kind of taking care of the bits and pieces of this. Don't worry. That's good. You don't have to just be there and be like, well, I don't know what we do now. We're screwed. Well, yeah, me and start, me start and our, submitting your resume to other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, me and one of my coworkers and our DevOps guy are going to be up tonight trying to do that. And if anything goes wrong, then me and my coworker will stop playing Rocket League and we will try to. We'll probably we'll get together and cry for a little bit, and then after we're done sobbing, we'll see what we can do. Uh, it sounds like fun. So yeah, so crossed, it goes goes smoothly. I was going to say, send thoughts, send prayers. Yeah, make sure you can correctly restore from your backups. Oh, yeah, don't before worry. Before you do it. <laughs> don't worry. I don't know. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> Andrew, shifting gears, would you like to introduce our guest with us today? Yeah. So today on the show, we have Will Johnson, who I had the pleasure of meeting through a book club that I then lost complete all time to participate in. But I wanted to get him on the show because he's kind of beginner learning Rails and he's kind of made a big splash. So I thought it'd be fun to get him on and talk about what it's like to learn Rails. He also produced an ebook that we're going to get into a little bit. So without further ado, Will, welcome to the show. You want to give a little introduction? Yeah, my name is uh, Will Johnson. I'm a self-taught developer. Uh, About two years ago, I started learning like JavaScript and stuff and mainly like front-end. And I use like social media a lot to like network, meet people, end up getting a job at Egghead. I actually was brought on to like do like the community stuff, like foster the community and come up with events and ideas. And that's been super fun. But one of the first things I was asked with, he was like, would you like to learn Rails for a move to the developer side? And I was like, sure. I've heard of Rails. I knew what it was, but 
I was in JavaScript land. So it was like exciting to learn something new. So I hopped on that as soon as possible. And before I get like started too much, first I wanted to say congrats, Chris, because I know you just launched the advanced Ruby course. And like uh, Andrew, I've ran out of all time to even start to try it, but I definitely do want to dig into that. Also, Jason, you know, as someone who did just launch a digital product, Podia made that super duper easy. So I appreciate the work that you've done there. I know that Andrew, you started a new job. So congratulations on that recently. So just happy to be here with you guys. That's super cool. Thanks for for the kind words. Yeah, thanks. No problem. Shout out to Podia because Podia is where the advanced Ruby course is and made that like, you know, real easy. Is your ebook on that you just launched well on Podia too? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just launched it on Podia like, I don't know, two or three weeks ago. Cool. We'll have to include a link to it in the in the show notes for anybody that wants to check it out. Cool, yeah. cool. What's yeah, uh do you want to give us a little synopsis on what the book is and what it's about? Sure. Yeah. The name of it is uh Break Into Tech with Twitter. So breakintotech.dev is the URL. And it's basically just me telling like my philosophies of how I think you should go about using Twitter to get a job in tech if you're self-taught, if you're going through a boot camp, nine times in 10, there's so many people doing that. You need a way to stand out. And I think that relationships with people in the industry is the best way to do that. That's what I did. That's what I've seen a lot of other people do. So it's kind of going through people telling them what I did and what I thought was happening with the people who were seeing what I was doing and hopefully give people a blueprint to kind of do the same thing. Nice. I have a good friend in town that I used to work with and he picked it up and read it and he was like, this is really, really good. So I haven't had a chance to read it yet. I've had a chance to like watch two of Chris's videos, but I'm getting there. I like the premise and I, I'm definitely going to read it because that's essentially how I got into where I'm at is using Twitter to like map relationships. And that's how I met Jason and Chris. And I mean, we also met at RailsConf sort of, but mainly through the interwebs. And that's how I've met a lot of people. So. I'm curious, what's it like transitioning from JavaScript, especially as a newer developer, transitioning from JavaScript into Ruby and Rails? I say now I love it, right? When I first started it, it was so weird because it was so simple. So I was expecting it to be complex because that's what I'm used to. Just like, you know, how blocks end with end. That was like so simple. I don't have to look through a bunch of brackets to see when this function ends, like that was mind blowing. So it took me like a while to actually understand what was going on because I was used to it being complex. And especially with Rails, because, you know, Rails magic and like so much stuff was happening. Like I remember when I did like my first scaffold and it built a whole web page and I was able to log in and log out. And I was like, I don't even know what I did. Like I went to like our local Slack group uh, here in Kansas City, Ruby KC. And I was like, yo, what just happened? I don't even understand what I just did. It was like scary. So I'm like, if I want to do this for a living, I at least want to know what happened. So yeah, that was like the part that transition was so used to like having to write out every single thing and have to do with like curly braces and scope and all this type of stuff. And since I've been learning rows, I hadn't even heard the word scope before. So it's just really, it's just a lot simpler to deal with. It seemed like it would be better, but it was actually harder because it took me, I almost thought I wasn't learning because it was so easy. That was like really strange. Yeah. 
I feel like you're, you got the lucky side because you got to see the hard part and then go into Ruby. For me, I had seen and written a little bit of JavaScript here and there, but I learned Ruby a lot. When I started learning Ruby, I learned it much deeper and a lot more of it. And then suddenly they're like, okay, now we want you to write some JavaScript and some CoffeeScript and some React. And I'm like, what is this nonsense? So it's cool. I heard you talking on another podcast about how Ruby was so much simpler. I was like, oh, we got to get him on. We got to tell the, got to tell the masses. <laughs> yeah, along those lines, I was going to ask if the going from JavaScript with all the callbacks and stuff into Ruby, was that hard to wrap your head around the way the language kind of operates differently? Yeah, it really was. And it's, it's just crazy. Like now I'm a lot more comfortable, but I just remember like that, that feeling of what, what is really happening? Like when you, even just the simple things that it has, being able to truncate some words or whatever, something that's super long, to be able to do that with just a simple method is like mind blowing. Cause in JavaScript, you have to write the whole thing and take numbers out and push them into an array and just, why? I feel like that's such a common thing. And this is my opinion, of course, but if it's such a common thing, I shouldn't have to write that whole thing out every single time. So that's why like, it was just hard to wrap around how it just made it so easy. But I've always told like, if something in programming is super easy, that means a lot of work went in behind it. So I appreciate them making it so easy to use and functional so I can get things done. Yeah. I really, really clearly remember that moment too, because I've came from Python and then getting into Ruby and Rails. I was like, everything's so simple. If I want to capitalize this, I just call the string dot capitalize. You're not writing like your own function or passing or creating a function and then passing the string in and getting a new one back. You're just like, this thing I want to capitalize. And it reads like you're thinking. And I was like, this is crazy. And I think that's a really interesting philosophy that difference that you see between Ruby and other languages. Whereas in, in JavaScript, you'd just end up installing, what, like another 10 node modules for that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, then the, got to make sure your JSON file is up to date and all kind of stuff. It, it's just, and another, like another part I talk about, because like I say, everyone I pretty much know is JavaScript or React developers. And I have a friend and he's um, working on this project and he's just like telling me like all this stuff that they're like bringing in to make this thing happen. Like it's, I'm like, man, you could literally do all of that with Rails. They have something you can add on to everything. It's just so much stuff. Like I'm using this for routing and I'm using this on the front end, but then I also got Babel to do this. Like it's like, it's 10 tools just to run the front end. I'm like that. That's a lot. And doesn't, you know, sound fun to me. Was your experience with JavaScript front end and back end or did was it like lean one way or the other? It was front end. I never I never leaned into Node just because when I was trying to learn how to code, I had a family to provide for and stuff like that. So I was trying to get like a, a job as quickly as possible. So I was like, if I can focus on the front end and be good at that, I can learn the back end later instead of trying to learn both and it take more time. So I just kind of stay really focused on like React and JavaScript on the front end. I'm only asking because I experienced this. Was it difficult knowing JavaScript, which is like a programming language for the front end, and then trying to like apply the concepts to like server-side programming? 
after a while, I just kind of dropped like all, you know, what I'm thinking with JavaScript and kind of mm-hmm. just let the Ruby take control. Yeah, because I, I knew jQuery. I didn't really know JavaScript. And then I learned Ruby. And then I was trying to learn JavaScript. And I was like, this is a programming language, but you only use it in the browser. Like it was like, it was kind of the reverse experience for me, but I was always, I kind of had to do the same thing. I had to kind of like drop all my like preconceived notions about it and just try and learn it. So, Will, you come from like a non-traditional background, which I didn't realize until after I listened to a podcast that you were on that I will put in the show notes if I can remember what it was. But you want to talk about that a little bit? Because I think your story is like super cool and inspirational, especially as someone who is young, fresh out of college. And I'm like, wow, he's gone through a lot that I've never had to even think or struggle about. And so I think it's super cool. And I think the listeners would definitely be interested to hear it. Uh, So basically, I was, I don't know, 35 now. I think I was 33 when I started, which is basically I was working at like factory jobs and call centers and stuff like that. And they just wasn't a good place to work. They treated you bad. Like at one job, I was there for like three years, never missed a day, never was late. I didn't think I told this part before, but like I remember I had got into a car accident because, you know, it snows here in Missouri. So it was like super snowy and I slipped and hit a school bus, right? And car was just wrecked. I was fine, luckily. And uh, I remember I sent the picture to my supervisor and I was like, I don't think I can come in tonight just because I'm like shaking up, right? Because every time I close my eyes, I replay that memory in my head. So I haven't slept in, I don't know, a day or two or whatever. Anyway, so I showed him the picture, said, I don't think I can come in. He was like, well, you still coming in, right? And I'm like, man, what? So I ended up, I ended up going in that day. And then another situation later, a couple of weeks later, my daughter wanted me to come to her school for her birthday. She was, she was kindergarten. She's a daddy's girl. She was like, can you come up to school, uh, come to my school and bring some cupcakes? So, you know, I asked and I get, you know, that day off. And the supervisor, like, literally laughed. Like, he was like, huh, and kept it moving. I was like, what? what? Like, those were the two moments where I was like, yo, I got to do something else. Because I, I just, what am I doing this for, right? Like, it was considered good money to some people. It was like 20 something dollars an hour. And it was more than I ever made at that point. But I was like, this is really isn't worth it. I don't get to see my family like the way I want to. It's always overtime. They treat you like whatever. So I started looking for different ways to provide better for my family. So I started like a YouTube channel. Me and my wife started a cleaning service, a bunch of other stuff. Like we sold some stuff on Shopify, like just trying to find different ways. And then I stumbled upon some people talking about learning web development. And then we were like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. And yeah, the, I mean, the rest is pretty much history. But through all of that, it was a lot going on. I ended up getting another job at a different factory. They weren't as bad as the previous one, but they were still pretty bad. They forced more overtime than the last one. I was working 50, 60, you know, hours sometime. Um, and people just acting like, you know, working 14 days in a row is like some honorable thing. Which, I mean, it can be, I guess, if you're really passionate about what you're doing. But if you're putting powder in a box 400 times a day, I couldn't do that 14 days in a row and be happy about it. Yeah, so I learned web development, went online, started networking with people, putting out what I was doing, what I was learning, going to meetups, speaking at meetups, blogging. I was doing everything. Like, if I wasn't, like, at work, or even if I was at work, like, I was on Twitter talking to people. I was doing everything I could to like get myself out of that situation and up meeting the co-founder of Egghead through Twitter. 
we chatted a couple times over Zoom. We had a good vibe. We understood, you know, where each other was coming from because he had a similar story. He all, cause I have six kids. He has five. And so, you know, he understood the, the process I was going through trying to break into tech while providing for a family at the same time, which is not a uh, easy task. So we met and then five months later, he ended up in my DM on Twitter, asked me that I want to work for him. And I've been there for uh, almost a year now, It'll be a year in October. So it was a wild ride. <laughs> That's awesome. What's it like working at Egghead? I've heard Egghead a lot. I've heard they're primarily JavaScript tutorial videos that I'm hoping you can kind of shed some light on that for people who may not be aware of Egghead. Sure. So let's say uh, it's egghead.io is the URL. It's a uh, web development education company and it's kind of focused on the creators, right? The the people who create the videos. So it's usually like open source maintainers or someone like Kent C. Dodds is a full-time educator and they be able to put up courses and explain what people are doing. I mean, kind of give them to break down these concepts. So yeah, it does have a reputation of being like JavaScript focused, but that's not intentional. That's what most of the people are doing. That's, you know, who knows each other. That's who network with each other and bring to the table. And that's what people are looking for. So that's why JavaScript ended up being like mainly there. I've been making Rails lessons recently and I do actually plan on making a Rails course here soon. I was going to do it on Action Cable, but I did this method, what is called Sales Safari, which is basically like seeing what people are actually talking about instead of just going off your own intuition. And it seems like a lot of people are having troubles with active storage. So I was like, well, I can make a a course with active storage. So, you know, so we're trying to expand and serve web developers in all places as opposed to just mainly front end JavaScript stuff, which has been, what's recently been, uh, you know, dominating the platform. I learned React Native on Egghead years ago. It's a really good platform. Like when I got out of React Native and started doing React, like that was like Egghead's like one of the first things, places I went to. It's really cool. So you're writing Rails now at Egghead. What's kind of Egghead's stack, if you can talk about it? Are they hosted on Amazon or Heroku or are they using Action Cable? Are they on legacy Rails? Are they on the Edge? Or kind of, if you can talk about it, what's it like over there? Sure. So it's hosted on Heroku. They're using the Rails API with React. So it's like full React with React Router on the front end and then just your normal standard Rails app on the back end. No action cable or anything like that. There's no like anything live. I do want to see if we can get like notifications on NCAP for like when new stuff is released, people can get a notification. So I might have to dig in the action cable for that. So on my uh, sticky note here on the on my monitor. There's a blog post about using action cable for notifications. Chris, that wasn't you, was it? <laughs> uh, well, I just made that notice gem and one of the delivery methods for notifications I added was action cable. So you can, when you create a notification, you can send it out, broadcast it to whoever is online and then you can add that to the nav bar right away. But you can also deliver that over email or save it in the database too because if somebody's not online and you use Action Cable, then they're never going to see it. So you got to save it to the database too. So yeah, I mean, I ended up building that. But I don't think other than the readme, I don't think I wrote a blog post on it. <laughs> I don't know where I saw it, but I'll try to find it. On the topic of... You know, being a beginner programmer, 
one of those things that we all should be doing as beginners is trying to track our production errors and stuff. And I bet you, Andrew, you now have a good place to do that. I do. I know of a place where you can basically get a pair, another pair to like watch out for your bugs if you're a beginner. And, you know, it's easy to miss stuff, but Honey Badger has your back with uptime monitoring, cron monitoring, error monitoring. It's really like a great deal. It's a great package to just like, I don't know. There's someone there always watching out for you. That's how I feel when I'm using Honey Badger. It's true. Because otherwise, the other places you're just kind of on your own and they go the, the, the distance for you because you get way more than just like error monitoring where you can actually make sure that your, your site is actually up and running, which is not something that you're normally going to get from your, your error monitoring service. So right. I really think they go the extra mile for you, which is, that's why I love Honey Badger and they're good people. Yeah. The other thing that I really like about Honey Badger, and I've, I'm not going to name names of other error monitoring services, but there are other error monitoring services out there that the interface is just so complicated. Like setting up the gem is like stupid complicated. Like once again, not naming names, but you know, I think we all know. But Honey Badger is just, it's so much, the interface is so easy. Setting up the gem is so easy. And I also like the fact that you can set up the gem in development confirm that it's working and it'll also start recording bugs and it'll say if this is still present during like when you deploy to production we're going to let you know and i i love that yeah it's super awesome because i mean that's the thing that when you're learning you have production bugs and then you've got to figure out how to replicate them in development and right you know it feels totally separate but in reality, if you're running your error monitoring in both places, then you can keep track of all of that and say, hey, I saw this in production and actually I've seen it in development before, which is going to trigger your memory and be like, oh yeah, I remember that and I fixed it by doing this and maybe I, I missed something or whatever. Right. That maybe you forgot really an environment useful. variable. Oh boy. How yeah. many times... <laughs> Yeah, running Hatchbox, how many times have I gotten questions about, well, this like thing doesn't run and doesn't boot because they forgot the Rails master key, which is like every single deploy someone does, you know, their new app and haven't haven't set that up in production. That's uh yeah. I've done that. I've done that, but I didn't email you. I figured it out. Well maybe I did. <laughs> well, I mean I've run into that myself and it's it would be so much easier if I was like, oh yeah, I always saw that before. But usually when you're thinking about production stuff, it feels it feels very different and it doesn't need to, which is nice. Yeah. So get started on Honey Badger developers. You heard me. Do it now. And mention Remote Ruby when you're checking out to let yes. them know that we sent you because helps support the show and helps us keep making the show. And if you want the show to continue and not die, like Ruby Blend, RIP. Support Honey Badger, support us. Thank you. Yeah, the Honey Badger people are the best. And if you haven't listened, they have a really good podcast as well, Founder they Quest. They do. I love that and podcast. It is, it is worth listening to. Fellow Rubyists and, you know, really good people in the community. So shout out to them. So are you enjoying working at Egghead? Do you see yourself there like a long time? I'm interested in Egghead just because... As I said, I've primarily viewed it as a JavaScript platform, but I know that's not truly the case. And I watched one of your videos and it was really good. 
because the level of like explanation and clarity that you provided was just excellent, especially because in my opinion, like people who are new are like almost in the best position to explain things because they're learning for the first time and we all have baggage of stuff that we take for granted. So I watched one of your videos and it was excellent. So, so it sounds like you're doing more of that. So yeah, is like Egghead a long play for you? It sounds like you really enjoy working there. Yeah, that's a good question. I do plan on staying for Egghead as long as I can. Joel Hooks, the, the co-founder, he's really, really helpful. And I think the best part is we had that relationship before I started working here. So we both knew what to expect. It wasn't scary. Like, you know, is this guy going to be a jerk or is Will going to be lazy? Like we, we already kind of knew how things were going to go. And I talked to him. I was like, you know, eventually I would like to have my own company. So he's very supportive in that. Like the whole sales safari thing is something that a resource that he pointed me to. And that's by Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman for, you know, the people who don't know. They're kind of like really good at like practical business education. But then that's like a resource he pointed me to so I can learn about how to do business and how to solve my customers' problems and things like that. And yeah, and this, they kind of take a base camp approach, but it doesn't have to be crazy at work and stuff like that. So things are like, we actually use Basecamp, of course, but things are like chill, a lot of synchronous communication, a lot of writing, not a ton of meetings and things like that. It's really cool. And it's just anytime I, I ask for anything, like a new idea I might have or, you know, something as simple. I remember I had noticed like when an instructor commented on a course, it just like a regular comment. It didn't stand out and it just was like a regular name. And I was like, hey, how about we add something that makes it different so people know that the instructor is commenting. So he hooked me up with the designer and we kind of worked on getting that out. Stuff like that. I feel like things that I do matter. And this isn't just like, you know, oh, this, he's new. He doesn't know what he's talking about. I definitely feel like I'm a member of the team. And there's one other thing to, to touch on when you're talking about the videos that Egghead makes. That's kind of the thing is they want the videos to be concise, but value packed. So with Egghead, you kind of just don't go and just make a video. It's like you're not left to your own. Like when you come in, you work with a team who kind of coaches you. You do a small sample lesson and then you get feedback. And then it just, you know, iterates until it kind of gets to the, the egghead style. It's a very hands-on approach to, to make sure that you're given a value-packed lesson in a short amount of time instead of, you know, sometimes, you know, you watch a YouTube video, it'll be like how to save data to the database. And then the first five minutes, they're talking about their cat or something like that. And that's not what you search. So I appreciate that approach. That's why I'm glad I'm able to make videos there because it's kind of my style. I used to hate that when I used to look for stuff at least put a timestamp of when you're talking about what I actually searched. Yeah, that's cool because that experience kind of sounds like how it was when I joined CodeFund because I had known Nate, who was one of the co-founders of CodeFund, and we had been pairing privately on actually Stimulus Reflex on the weekends. And so when I came into CodeFund and he was the one who got me to join, it was definitely like he already knew what I knew and I knew what he knew and the expectations were very clear and it was definitely a remote culture. And it definitely makes a big difference because I've come into companies before where the lines aren't as clearly drawn and you kind of feel lost a little bit. And it's not a great feeling. And it's almost, it feels like you're being handicapped in a way. Like you're not set up for success. And it's definitely something that I look for now when I'm talking to juniors or working with juniors or pairing. Like some people will hit me up on Twitter and be like, hey, 
I don't know how to how to do this thing. Can you help me? And I'm always, if I have the time, I'm always down to pair with them and talk with them because I also like to figure out, is this person set up for success, like where they're at? And if they're not, how can I like provide the resources to get them there? Because it's frustrating and no one wants to be in that position. And it's hard to get right. It definitely comes down to company culture. And if you're team doesn't care about that, whether it's like the larger company or just the actual software team, it's a frustrating experience and you're not going to get as much out of it. And then that leads to more people burning out. And that's what we don't want. So that that's great to hear that they kind of helped you and coached you through that. Kind of going along with that, like what are you still doing to keep up on your learning? So it sounds like you're actively writing Rails and it sounds like you looked into some of Chris's stuff, but how much learning are you still doing around Rails outside of just, uh, I need to build this feature. How do I build this feature like on the job? Uh, it's usually a book or something like that. I haven't started yet, but I just bought the well-grounded Rubyist. Bought that not too long ago. And also, because I'm the type of person, like I'll watch a video for something first to kind of like my brain to soak it in. I can't read a book first. For whatever reason, like just all the terms and stuff just get jumbled and they don't stick. So if I already have experience with it, then I'll go back and read about it and it'll stick a different way because your brain's taken in a different way or whatever. So like I remember I did a binge read of Agile Web Development with Rails. I like read it over a three-day weekend. And the uh, active record part of that book is so good. Like it's so like he was really going in depth explaining. So I'm like, this is so good. So yeah, so usually like books. I said I just bought Chris's Advanced Ruby course. So whenever I think once I get this AK course out the window, because that's like my main focus now is doing this active storage, I can get into that and uh, learn more. So as far as I have been able to find like any good blog posts, at least that's for not anyone at my level. Like I found like some advanced stuff that I didn't really understand what they were talking about. But I feel like at where I'm at, I haven't really found any like good blogs for real. So it's basically been like like building stuff, like using uh, WebCrunch, that YouTube channel. And yeah, and just books and stuff like that. And then I, the first course I took was Michael Hartle's Rails tutorial. That's like the first recommendation from everyone. But now it's usually like books are searching for something specific is how I kind of keep my tools sharp. Nice. Chris or Jason, do you guys have any books you guys just recommend in general for beginners? Because I know I'm not as big of a reader unfortunately. So I don't, (laughs) other than anything Sandy Metz puts out, which I will always start to read, (laughs) try to finish. But I figured that you two may have some good input on stuff for beginners. I'm not much of a reader of programming books either. I needed to have more reference books for the most part when I was starting. But the one that really did help the most was that metaprogramming Ruby book. And that's like, stuff I touch on in the advanced Ruby course too, but those are all the things that are like, this is how Rails is, is like, or, you know, Ruby and Rails and other libraries end up being as simple as they are. And that was the, the one thing that really got me going from Python to Ruby easily, because the rest of it was like, yeah, I know how to switch syntaxes. That's not so bad. But then the philosophy of the language and like, why it's designed the way it is was something I struggled with early on. So I think I read that six months into to doing Ruby and that really made a big difference for me. So that'd be my, my recommendation. Mine was Eloquent Ruby. 
in terms of books, I still have a copy of it and I don't usually keep books around. Uh, I tried buying the pickaxe, which was just, I think, called like Programming Ruby. But it was like, it's more of a reference book. You could read through it at the beginning, but the back's reference. I never got through that one. For me, what was the biggest resource was at the time, I was like, videos were my thing too. And it was Railscast and uh, Rails for Zombies from Code School. I didn't have Buku's of Money back when I was learning programming, but like paying for Code School is like the one thing I did. But it got bought by Pluralsight and is now Pluralsight. So, yeah. I mean, those books are definitely ones I've always heard about. I mean, Chris talks about metaprogramming Ruby all the time. Will, what are some like things you would suggest for people out there listening who are juniors or they're starting to get into Ruby and they want to learn more about Ruby? Can you provide some suggestions or like things that you found that really work for you in terms of learning the language and maybe transitioning into it from another? I would say, like I said, if you are a reader, I would say get the Agile Web Development with Rails. I mean, it does use scaffolding, so it does kind of go fast, but I like it because it's like you do something first, like you'll build, you build something first, and then he goes back and explains everything in depth, what you just done, which has always been my preferred approach instead of hitting me with a bunch of words that I don't understand and don't, can't relate to anything. I like when you kind of, let's just do it, right? You give me like a little hint. Okay. You're doing this. We do it. And then we go back and be like, okay, this is what that actually meant. I feel like that has helped my understanding a lot more as well. Also, I mean, of course, Chris's content, obviously, because I didn't get params when I first started. And that's how I actually found out about Chris. I think I Googled Rails Params Explained or something like that. I can't remember. And it had to be like the exact title that he had. So that's, of course, that's the first video I've clicked on. I actually, I was like, oh, that's what it, because I don't know, people just didn't, explain that well enough for me to understand because I like to really know what's going on when it comes to stuff, even though, yeah, it's cool to actually do stuff and like, I know what's happening, like I can make it happen. I like to actually know what is going on. It just um, makes me feel safer, more comfortable. I don't know. So yeah, so definitely like, I think Chris's stuff is you want to get like those really good explanations and you see things more in depth as well. I remember coming from doing a little bit of Python and Django and stuff. And that was always like the query params, you get this way, the post request params, you get this other way and whatever. And I came to Rails and I was like, what in the hell is this params thing? The other big thing was like Python and JavaScript and everything is import this from that. And then you can interact with those other things. And then you're in a controller in Rails and it's, yeah, just call params. And you're like, where the hell is params come from? What is this? How do I yeah. know that that's a thing I can do? And unless someone tells you, you don't know. And yeah, that was one of those early moments I had too. Of what is this? How does it work? Like, how do I find the other things I have access to? I don't exactly. know. Exactly. And that was turned out to be a good episode. One of the first episodes to you know talk about or whatever. Way back when that feels like ages ago on Go Rails, I'd probably be pretty um, <laughs> pretty embarrassed watching that video again. Uh, <laughs> That'll be funny. I'll probably go watch that and be like, I can't stand this. <laughs> yeah, you should do reaction videos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's uh, funny. Did you have did you have other things that, that when you were learning Rails were like in the similar vein of what is this params? What is it doing? Why does it work this way? Where does it come from? Did you have other 
things like or routes or views or even active storage, I think is a common one that people run into these days. One thing that I didn't get was like models because people kept saying models were data. And I'm like, well, but they're not in the database like that. That whole concept was like weird that the database is like, a you know, a whole separate thing. And it's like the model. I look at the model as we think like a a mold of like how you want something to look. So like the model is like, okay, it needs to be this. And, but I was thinking it was like the database and I'm like, well, you don't save it here. You don't like, it didn't, it kind of didn't make sense. And then that's actually something I actually wrote a blog post about how does the model interact with the database and rails just because I had to look it up. I think I went to stack overflow or something. But yeah, I guess just from the explanation, I didn't understand what it was. That was probably me not understanding what people were trying to say, but it made a lot more sense once I actually figured out what was going on. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense because I feel like you can go through these tutorials and stuff when you're a beginner and you don't really get necessarily the purpose. So like you understand there is this MBC thing, but like why is it broken and organized (laughs) that way? And why do I even need a model is not usually a question that's answered in these tutorials. Here's a model and this is what they do. And you're like, mm-hmm. okay, but why? And it tends to be stuff that doesn't really get addressed, I think. And yeah, that's something probably that could be, we could go through and go into, look, if you didn't have a model, here's what you would end up doing. This spaghetti and this organizes it to solve these these issues. Because I think... We don't see much of like, why does MVC exist and why is it designed that way? It's just kind of like, nope, that's how we do it. That's the Rails way and just accept it and and move on. So it'd be interesting to go and show that uh, somewhere in a tutorial or something. Yeah, I think that'd be good for noobs. Uh, That's like another thing I actually found doing the whole cell safari technique that a lot of people were having that problem just understanding what the model was and why it wasn't used as, because everyone explains it as data, but no one kind of says like the data, like the part that you're looking for is in the migration file. That's what you're looking for is where the data hangs out. It's not in the model. Yeah, it's like the model's like temporary storage or whatever before it goes to the database or like after you pulled it out. It's just here in Ruby so you can use it and work with it, but it's not really there. It's just in memory for a few seconds or whatever. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around because you don't normally do that if you're writing code otherwise. You're just like, hey, this variable is this thing and it's this data, but really your data is in a database. We have to figure out how to communicate with it properly and safely and make sure all the required stuff is in there and formatted right. So it makes it makes sense that that's like a hard thing for people to wrap their head around as as beginners. I bet there's like countless other things that are easy to gloss over like that too. Yeah, like a lot of the stuff I I forgot. Those are like the probably the two things that stick out the most. But yeah, there was plenty of questions when I, when I first started. Just it's like stuff worked, and that was probably like the weirdest thing. Like my. Because usually when I had questions with JavaScript, it was because something wasn't working. I'd be like, hey, this doesn't work. What did I do wrong? But like, and with the Rails, it was kind of like, 
what is happening, period. Not like it works. I just don't know why. So that's where a lot of my questions came from. The rails magic for you. Well, Will, is there anything you want to plug before we kind of wrap this up? And where can people find you online? Sure. So the best place, which should be obvious by now, is Twitter. So it's Will Johnson IO. That's my Twitter handle. Then my blog is where I blog about different Rails topics that I'm learning or deepening my understanding on at williamjohnson.dev. And then if you're a you know programmer or if you're or even if I even think the stuff in my book is good, even if you are already into tech, just to improve like how you use Twitter, it's breakintotech.dev is where you can find my ebook. It's only 30 pages, but it's straight practical. One thing I didn't do was put a lot of fluff. It's almost like a egghead ebook. Like it's 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 straight to the meat. So if you're looking for some tips on there, you can do that as well. I love that style of writing because I hate the fluff. So, (laughs) well, thank you so much for coming on. I'm sure I hope everyone listening kind of checks out your stuff because it's really good. And I'm not just saying that. Chris, you better watch out. There's a... (laughs) Well, you're just on the other side of Missouri from me. So we'll have to meet up sometime. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, you're in St. Louis, right? Yep, yep. So maybe once the pandemic calms down, we'll have to go and and grab a beer or something. Yeah, sounds good. I'm with it. Well, it was great to meet you. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Anything anybody wants to add before we wrap up? Pray Uh, for me. Pray for me in my hour of need tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe next time we can talk about Ruby 3. That a preview released today. That'll be exciting. Well, thanks for being on, Will, and talk to you guys in the next episode. Later. All right. Thanks for having me. Have a good one.